You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Friday, and this Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Good, all of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and we will start with Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Remember when you heard that teams that paid their quarterbacks still couldn't build rosters around them? That was a lie. Remember when you heard that certain teams just had to build through the draft to find some way to afford a roster? That was a lie. And the Chiefs have proven it all again with a mega trade today that sends one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL from the Ravens over to the Chiefs. They get Orlando Brown Jr. as their new starting left tackle, and they fix one of the few weaknesses they had going into the Super Bowl. Sarah, I have lost all reason for hope. (laughs) Well, I mean, that should have come far before this latest move, but this does really drive the nail into the coffin for you. I mean, listen, I I will agree with you. My only cynicism will come. They've found this piece that they desperately needed. And if there's ever been a bigger stage to discover how desperately you need a piece than that Super Bowl and watching Patrick Mahomes basically throw from his butt all day or a completely horizontal diving position, then, then that was it. But This is very early still in the post-Mahomes contract world. Right now, they are clinging to a lot of players that they had signed before that. Now is when you get creative. And this is a great way to start by showing you're still able to do that, Fitz. I don't know if this is proof that over the course of the next few years, they will still be able to maintain some of their biggest superstars, some of the talent that has made them that great. This is a start. But what I want to see is down the road, whether it's, you know, the, the Tyree kills and guys like that, that they can keep around. Yeah, and it's such a great problem to have for the, the Chiefs that have so much talent. But realistically, they looked across the landscape, remembering that they're picking 31st overall in the draft and said, hey, if we can acquire a Pro Bowl caliber left tackle for the cost of the 31st overall pick in the draft, a third rounder, a fourth rounder and a fifth rounder next year, it's worth it, and I can understand that because they're in win-now win mode, right? Like, to your point, Sarah, uh, they're going to have to get creative every year moving forward with contracts. But for them to take on somebody that they're obviously also going to have to pay, I mean, it's stunning. And it's also stunning to me from the other side of it. Everybody heard it on SportsCenter. I want you to hear it again. This is what Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider, said on the Max Kellerman show about this trade. I, I think the reason they made that trade is they weren't going to be able to keep them you know, this is going to be you know the first of many non-Lamar Jackson rookie contract veterans they can't keep. Let's get something for him now before he leaves in free agency. For the, to the Chiefs down the road, so. to the Chiefs, you want to give Mahomes blindside protection? Are they crazy? Hey, when you're selling like that, you know there's 31 other teams you don't like to do it. I'm sure they would have liked to go on to the NFC Max, but yeah. um, they got good value and they had to pull the trigger. I mean, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, like We're Max all is Max. Right. We're all I Max. Mean, <laughs> to the Chiefs? <laughs> that, that's, I, I mean, so perfectly the reaction I had when I saw the breaking news. And I saw, you know, Shefty put it up with the, the picture of Orlando Brown. And I'm thinking, okay, where's he going? And then my heart just sank. And Max makes a really good point. Like, as much as the Ravens want to get rid of or want to get value back, I should say, for, for a great player, getting value back but then sending a great player to a team that is clearly better than you are in your own conference while you're battling to get to the Super Bowl makes even less sense to me. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, these are all the kinds of things that we look at how the trade goes down. We have all these questions about why. And I think, you know, as best he could in the face of Max, 
he did point out that sometimes you look around and you hope you have a different trading partner and there's only one person left to dance with. And if it makes you fill the things that you need and if it puts you in a position to get what you need, then you hope that you end up against each other and you win in the battle of who got the better of it. Because it, it, it might still be better for the Ravens than doing nothing. The Ravens at this point hold the 27th and 31st picks in the first round. Now they may be able to use that to move up. They may stay where they are and see how the board falls to them. But uh, the Ravens, we know every single year, I feel like we're asking a question about whether or not they're going to get the right weapons around Lamar Mm -hmm. and how they'll maximize Lamar. This does give them more opportunity to do that. So I see the logic in it. And in fact, I think the Ravens getting that haul from any team not named Kansas City would have most of us nodding our head in approval and saying, hey, good for you getting somebody that was not going to be happy unless he was playing left tackle, may not have been at left tackle for them anymore. Now you're able to get a bounty for return. Like all of those are good things. It's just the the fact that it's going to the team that lost in the Super Bowl but has put themselves into a situation where it feels like yet again, they're clearly the best team in the AFC that is such a gut punch to so many of us. Yeah, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Speaking of, you know, the trades at the draft deadline or maybe even on draft night and moving around, maneuvering to get what you want, inexplicably, the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones just sort of laid out on a platter for us just how much Jerry loves Kyle Pitts. He used the word sugar plums, which I only hear in Christmas poems. Here's what they posted to their Twitter account, a clip from Jerry's meeting with Kyle over Zoom. Boy, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm excited to uh, have you come into this league. And, uh, man, I, what a uh, pair-up we could do with old Dak Prescott. Some of those guys that we've got out there have options to get you the ball. So we can dream of visions of sugar plums around here. Okay. Listen, I know that Pitts is very exciting as a player, and some have him as potentially being the best at his position of anyone in the draft, including Trevor Lawrence, as far as best at the position that you play. One of the, you know, could be game-changing tight end, whatever. But do you really think that a team like the Cowboys, who has so many needs in defense, can afford to give up future picks to move up four, five, where they'd have to get to to get him? That's the great question because he's so enticing. I think, honestly, they would. I mean, Jerry, knowing knowing full well that obviously, like you said, they have needs on the defensive side of the ball, it's still Kyle Pitts. And, you know, I, I and remember it's Jerry. Last, I mean, right. That's the other part of it. Like, Jerry's looking Jerry around saying— Jerry wants the name. He wants huh. to put it up on a big sign, on a poster outside the stadium. I, I don't blame him. I mean, the College Football Live guys last year continually, when I asked every week, how do you cover Kyle Pitts— I remember getting laughed at at one point, and the answer was, you just don't. And that's, you know, that, that's true. That being said, Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider, was on Greeny with Mike Greenberg answering the question, does he think the Cowboys will trade up for Pitts? I would be absolutely shocked. And here's why, Greeny. I get a chance every week to speak to a bunch of head coaches and GMs, and I ask the same question about how much of a difference maker is Kyle Pitts. And what was interesting, the defensive coaches, specifically Wade Phillips, Eric Mangini, guys like John Fox, they all said they're going to treat him as a receiver. So they're going to put a, a corner on him until Kyle Pitts can show that he could block. He doesn't have to be a great blocker, but he has to cut off on the backside or move somebody at some point on a third and one, much the way Rob Gronkowski did for over a decade. He will be a really good player in this league. I'm not saying he won't be, but I don't see this incredible mismatch because defensive coordinators are going to see him as a receiver, not a tight end. It's interesting stuff from Mike Tannenbaum on Depends that. Depends on so, who else is out on the field, though, right, Fitz? I mean, 
you could you could view someone as a wide receiver all you want, but if they have enough other weapons, you're going to end up with someone who's mismatched. Yeah, and at, the, at least in the last year, particularly, there were times that defensive coordinators viewed him like he was the only person on the field, and he still found a way to get open. <laughs> right. So he's got that ability. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. Sarah, can I confess something to you? Every time I hear the word would. plums, like I just hear plums, all I can think about is Will Ferrell and the outtakes. Uh, you know, feel it all the way down to my plums. That's all. If you know, you know. Which, uh, all right. I don't know. Which movie is that? Uh, it's uh, it's from uh, the What's what? Uh, it'll come to me. Somebody will tweet it to me. The baseball is eastbound and down. <laughs> eastbound and down. Look up Will at Will Ferrell, Ferrell eastbound and down. Eastbound That's what she's going right. to spend the next few minutes doing, and you'll thank me Work later. Work drugs. I can't even, That's my can't even say the that word show. plums at this point. <laughs> All right, coming up, there, there's change coming possibly long-term in college football, but there's change coming immediately that's going to affect this season. You won't believe what they're doing. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. To the Chiefs. Down the road. <laughs> You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Change is coming to college football, and it's going to change the way you watch games this year. It's flown under the radar, and it's going to be shocking. The radar? And it the radar? It's a new the word. Rain-dar? Is that like, where we see if there's going to be rain? It, no, it's a reindeer radar. Like specifically, Whoa. really only works at Christmas time. Doesn't get a lot Do they of sales in signals July, via but, their antlers. I can't. I can't. I mean, it's patented. Can't reveal secrets. I understand. Shark Tank. I mean, yeah, it's this way things go. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. She's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. As usual, she's the one that can speak eloquently, and I'm the moron tripping over myself. But ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Okay, so uh, let's start with today's big news. And I say big news with a scoff and a little bit of a sarcasm uh, behind all of it. As there's the headline says, college football is going to consider headla- uh, playoff expansion. That's what everybody's going to talk about. But let's be real about it. What this is is a college football playoff subcommittee that's just four uh, executives uh, that represent four different conferences that have now been given some possibilities for potential college football playoff expansion. <laughs> so this news is that far out. And I think it's really important that uh, CFP Executive Director Bill Hancock, this is his quote, there will not be a new format this season or next season. The timetable is certainly an important detail, but it hasn't been determined yet. It's too soon to predict the timing. But even if the board decides to alter the format, it may well not occur until after the current agreement has expired, which isn't until after the 2025 season. So we're talking about playoff expansion that may not even kick in until 2026, Sarah. I just need people to at least hear that. As much as everybody loves the concept of expansion, it's not coming right away. Yeah, Fitz, I saw the headline and I was like, ooh. And then I clicked it. I was like, oh, okay. 63 possibilities for change discussed. Oh, oh, not only is there no timetable, but it's too soon to have a timetable. It's too soon to even predict the having of a timetable. Yeah, they used every piece of language possible, Fitz, to put up a big stop sign and say, okay, yeah, we're talking about this, but it ain't happening anytime soon and it might not even be happening in the next couple years. And I think that's disappointing. Um, I don't know necessarily that a 12-year contract is the right way to go when there's so much quick change in this particular space. It, it's what we said, it, not the same as, as the NFL, but I think anytime you have contracts that long, what you're really not taking into consideration is incredible turnover in terms of technology and changes in the media space and everything else. And I think they would be wise to think about that the next time they they start a new deal 
Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that you need to wait till the end of this 12-year contract if it becomes clear, which I think it has, that the college football playoff is a good system. It would be even better if you expanded it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I'm so in on expansion, but I feel like this is college football's opportunity to say, hey, no, don't worry about it. We're talking about it. We'll get it figured out. So, uh, But in the meantime, they still are going to get all the hype that comes this fall as we'll get into the season again, and we'll all be pretty sure that Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State will be three of the four teams yep. that are at the top of all of it, and we'll see who makes it in, and there'll be some smaller school that says, why didn't we get in this time? Like, it's an annual. It's <laughs> like watching, time. you know, America's Next Top Model. Like, once you know the formula, you know at some point they're going to take everybody to a foreign shoot. Like, that's what happens, you know, and it's <laughs> Hell's Kitchen all over again. It's very formulaic, but it's working. And as long as the ratings continue to be good and the money's being made, they're just going to be able to say, guys, we're talking about it. And it's yeah, it's kind of like when parents are like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're continuing to have conversations about getting a puppy. And we will get <laughs> back to you and let you know when our conversations progress to looking at you know, anti-cruelty society online. And then after that, going to visit. And then after that... Picking out a dog. And then after that, actually adopting one. I mean, it, it does feel like they can just keep pointing out we're discussing it with zero timeline and, and assume that that will keep the dogs at bay. I don't think it will for very long. Yeah, well, and to me, it, as long as everybody every year continues to make a ton of money on it, they're just going to mm-hmm. hide behind this curtain. In the meantime, what's interesting to me is that college football is capable of making quick, swift, and I think drastic change when they want to. They've done that for this coming season with an overtime rule. Now, there are a lot of people that believe that the college football overtime system is better than the NFL overtime system. I am like the one person that doesn't really feel like that. It already feels really strange at the end of a college football game when everybody's just getting the ball so close. But it's about to get even stranger in my mind. College football teams now will have to go for the two-point conversion after touchdowns in the second overtime. It used to be the third, so they'll have to go for two. If after two overtimes, the game is tied, they're going to go into two-point conversion playoff, essentially, like sudden death, like penalty shots in, in the NHL. It is going to be back and forth with sudden death two-point conversion attempts after two overtimes, which is such a dumb way to end a football game to me. Really? Okay, so this is interesting because yes. I'm actually here for this, and, and this is why. The biggest frustration to me with any overtime in any sport is the idea that a team, I'm sorry, that a sport that's made up of multiple phases would be decided by just one of those. I think you at least need to offer each team the opportunity to score and to prevent the other team from scoring, which is why I hate in the NFL that you get a coin flip. And if your defense doesn't stop them from scoring a touchdown, game over. Well, what if your what if your game has always been predicated on your incredible offense? Your defense was a little less than, and that keeps you in games. And then we've limited down and, and cooked it down to just this one thing. In this case, at least you will keep trading two point conversions until either your defense fails or your offense fails. That at least seems more fair to me than the arbitrariness of of the NFL. Well, it used to be that they went to alternating two-point plays in the fifth playoff, or in the fifth overtime, something that none of us ever see, right? So uh, at least there, maybe it was more stomach, uh, I could stomach it more. But for me, when I start thinking about the two-point play, I mean, why might as well just make it a kick. Like, if we're going to no. make arbitrary rules, like, so no. it's, we can't make somebody go for a field. You really think you a two-point conversion is the same as a kick? Yeah, I mean, it's as gimmicky. Fits. I mean, you don't even they're, believe they're, that. No, I you can tell what? by the tone of your yeah that you don't even it's believe as, that. I'm you so, said it, and now you gimmicky. can't back it up. It's as gimmicky. Like it's like saying, okay, what's you know your what? solution? 
my solution is to have them play. Just play normal quarters. Like, I don't mind the NFL. See, what you present as the problem with the NFL is a never-ending problem. Because if you give everybody the ball, like if you say, okay, you're both going to get to touch the ball once in overtime, then we're going to go to sudden death. Well, uh, what happens when after you both touched the ball once, you both scored, then all of a sudden Patrick Mahomes didn't get the ball again because of a coin toss. So then all of a sudden it's like, no, we're going to let him do that twice or three times. I think you just continue to play. I have no problem with sudden death, first score okay, wins. Okay, so you want unpaid players who have no guaranteed health post-career to just keep playing until they all expire. No, just sudden death like a normal overtime like they do in the NFL. I think that's right. healthier for them than getting the ball Wait, at so the 25 you, you, and just going, okay and going, then. And going and going You're okay with the sudden death that it, whichever team scores a touchdown first wins, that's it. I'm okay with whichever team scores any point first wins. Like I don't mind I, didn't, oh, I don't mind Fitz. the original NFL This pro is process. worse than your pie take. So oh, you are be worse than my you're pie down take. with playing an entire game that involves every aspect of the game of football and then just solve it by who wins the coin toss. Yes, because that's an inevitability anyway. No, like it's I said, not. If, if you, okay, if I turn around and say, you know, I'm going to guarantee that each team at least gets one possession in overtime. What happens when both teams score in overtime? You keep playing. You do both teams then get to touch the ball again or does it go to sudden death? Yes. Yes. I you- mean, you keep playing until the allotted time runs out, and if you're still tied, then you go to two-point conversions, which is not a full game, but at least is still a representation where your defense and offense get to participate. Yeah, uh, to me, uh, what they've done over the last several years of giving the kids the ball at the 25 is just, it makes it so easy for everybody to score that the back and forth is just maddening to me, and it doesn't really feel like football. In the NFL side of it, like now that we say, okay, well, the game only ends with the touchdown, that's fine. I mean, I'm used to it. It doesn't really bother me. But I also didn't have a problem with the game ends on the first point scored because that to, is always an inevitability. Like if we allow both teams to, to possess the ball once and then go to sudden death, you're still opening the window the same way. It's, it's a never-ending conversation. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in Sunday night. The Nets host the Suns, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 3 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. We'll continue trying to figure out overtime. I'll get my butt kicked during the break i'm sure in a debate but coming up the bucks picked up a huge win over the sixers last night we're going to get their takeaways from the win what we can expect from the east and what's real in this stage in the nba season we'll do it next spain and fits on espn radio and the espn app spain and fits the podcast as we inch closer to the postseason we're getting some superstars back. How much time do they have to gel with their squads? And can we avoid any more big names going down before the playoffs start in the NBA? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, the NBA is right here on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night as the Mavs host the Lakers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations and ABC. To help us break down all the latest NBA news, joining us on the Goodyear Hotline is ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler. Legs, thanks for the time. What's happening? Thanks for having me on. Well, we got Anthony Davis back last night, and we've got Lakers-Mavs coming up again on ABC Saturday night. Get in the Zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the Zone, AutoZone. What did you see last night from AD and his return in that matchup? Yeah, look, I think it's it's going to take some time. He's been out a long time. Um, and, and so I think right now, and this has been pretty much their concern the entire year, really. I think all they cared about was trying to make sure that they had guys healthy and legs under them when the playoffs started. So they're erring on the side of caution with some of these injuries. I think a lot of these teams are treating their star players 
differently with some of the injuries they've had than they would in a normal year because it is a little bit a little bit more compressed schedule. It's a shorter off season, um, particularly for a team like the Lakers. So I think when some of these guys have had stuff crop up, it's taken a lot longer than I think it normally would have to get back. And all they're going to try to do now is time it out and pace him to get him ready to go where he can play 30-plus minutes starting game one of the playoffs. Legs, we all expected an abject disaster without AD and LeBron for the Lakers, and I'm not saying it was good, but it was at least okay. They treaded water. Is there any takeaway from how they played without the guys? Yeah, here's the problem with the NBA. It just This is why it's so different um, than a lot of sports. Uh, you know, with the NBA, when you look at guys step up in star players' absences, and people start to get this takeaway, like, oh, man, like, look look at you know the way these guys are playing. That just means they're not much deeper when the stars come back. Actually, it doesn't work that way because when the stars come back, a lot of the guys that have had increased opportunities, and they go back to that old role. And, and so a guy that you now – look, everybody in the NBA can play, and, and everybody can score. And so when you get an extended opportunity to play, you get more touches, you get more rhythm, you can do some things offensively. Um, when you get into that flow, when you now have to go back to that same role, um, you know you, it's much more difficult when you maybe you're getting a shot every five or six minutes, or you're getting touches, you know, few and far between. Your minutes are more sporadic, so it, it's hard to take away from certain guys stepping up when the stars aren't there and say that that's something now that they've added to their team when the stars come back, because those guys typically revert back to the role they were in. What makes it really hard this entire thing is finding chemistry amongst each other when guys have been out for a really long time. The one advantage a team like the Lakers will have, a team like Brooklyn will have, who has missed obviously a couple of their stars, you know, you think they're going to be able to get through the first round. So in essence, you now have a situation where maybe you get four, five, six additional games to get your t- you fine-tune some things, get your legs under, you get your wind, get your rotation down, because the second and third round and then the NBA Finals, like that's what these teams are built for, and that's when the real stiff challenges come. And, and so, you know, you think about how many games left in a regular season, you start to get concerned, but then tack on four, five, six games for each of those teams because they're going to have a first-round series that they should be able to get through. Legler's with us here on Spain and Fitz. Really quick, interesting about the Lakers defensively, defensive efficiency-wise, they've somehow maintained throughout without LeBron and Davis, but without them, their offensive efficiency drops to 28th in the league. So uh, certainly they need both those guys on the court to be able to compete offensively. Let's switch to another game we watched last night, the Bucks and the Sixers, and a lot of people wanting to take away from that. I, I respect what Drew Holiday's brought to this team. I think it was a good effort from the Bucks, but they shot 50% from three. That's not really sustainable. Embiid only had three rebounds. That's absolutely not going to happen normally. It was the second night of a back-to-back, the fifth game in eight days for the Sixers, and they were without Ben Simmons for a third straight night. I'm not taking away much from this in terms of reseeding my East. How about you? No, I'm with you on that. I will say this about the Bucks. I, I think when I look at the last two years, you know, best, best regular season record, Giannis MVP, and then two years in a row they have disappointing ends to their season. Two years ago it was Toronto just basically loaded up the paint for all intents and purposes, played a 3-2 zone the entire series bottled up Giannis. He didn't really have an answer for that. Uh, Last year, injuries played a part, but it was kind of the same story in terms of how they try to end games or what they do when when games are tight in the fourth quarter offensively, which is you still rely on Giannis with a live dribble to the top of the key, isolating. And that's just not a formula for success. So when they added Drew Holiday, 
said, look, this, this could be the difference maker to get this thing across the finish line. Now, granted, this was all before Brooklyn did what they did. But in looking at the Bucks, and are they a more viable threat? I think that they are because I think they've got better options later in the game. Mm-hmm. And if, if Budenholzer will allow those guys, Middleton and Holiday in particular, to go make plays and allow those guys to initiate the offense and don't make it all about Giannis in those one-possession playoff games, I think they've got a real chance. I worry they will revert back to it because sometimes they fall into that trap of, well, he's the MVP, he's our best player. That's just kind of what you do in the NBA, right? You give it to your best player and let him go one-on-one you know, in, in a big moment. That's not what he does well, and it plays into the defense's hands because he's not going to beat you with a mid-range or deep shot, and he's not going to beat you with his passing. Um, he is a guy that's phenomenal, I think, in those situations. Pick and dive, put pressure on defenses with this guy rolling to the middle with a great set of hands, and he's going toward an area where he's comfortable scoring. If they run some possessions late like that, I think they've got a real chance to certainly get, if they can avoid the Nets until the finals, if the Nets are healthy, conference finals. They've got a chance, to, I think, to look like the most viable threat they've had. Um, Philadelphia, to me, still, I think, it, it, it is maybe the team that matches up best with Brooklyn because nobody's got a Joel Embiid on their roster. There's one of them in the league. They've got them. That's a phenomenal way to be able to attack that team. Um, so I, I still think Philly fully healthy is the biggest threat to the Nets. We're talking to ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Legs, you just gave so much context to Milwaukee and why it hasn't worked the last few years. At what point do we run out of context and patience with them considering they do have one of the best players in the league and they aren't being thought of as the dominant team in the East? This year, this year, this postseason. Because, and look, this may seem blasphemous to some people, and I think Mike Budenholzer is a really, really bright guy, and I've always regarded him as one of the better coaches in the league. But if he can't get this team to execute differently and attack differently in the big moments, in the playoffs, and you're going to get those. And, and you, you know, you might have a couple of tight moments in the first round, but I, I think the Bucks will be fine whoever they get there. It's second round and beyond. You're talking about playing, you know, teams like Brooklyn and Philly uh, to get out of the Eastern Conference. If, if Budenholzer stays loyal, I feel, almost feel like it's, it's, a, it's a blind loyalty to Giannis Antetokounmpo sometimes, the way they play late in games. And if they stick to that, and that's, that's, that he wants to go down with the ship, they are going to go down. And if that happens three years in a row where they don't even make it you know, to an NBA final with a guy like that in your roster in his prime, I'm really going to be curious to see how they evaluate Mike Budenholzer going forward because there has to be a different approach. There just has to be. He does not have the all-around offensive game, Giannis Antetokounmpo, to be able to rely on him to go win possessions the way that Kevin Durant can, Kyrie Irving, James Harden can, um, you know, Jason Tatum, the way that he can. And I could list ten guys in the West that can do that. That's not Giannis. Giannis is a phenomenal force of nature. And certain contexts, late in games, you've got to make sure you're doing things that play to his strengths and allowing other guys that are maybe a little bit more equipped to score from all over the floor to have more power in their offense. And, and, and I'm, I haven't seen enough of it, so let's see what happens. But I think for me, it's this year. If they go down again in the second round, I, I think you know you, it gets to the point where now they do not get the benefit of the doubt going forward at all that Giannis Constantinopoulos is going to be able to lead that team to a championship.
In Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Tim Legler with us, ESPN NBA analyst. Hey, we're out of time, so quickly, you got to take Monty Williams or Coach Tibbs for uh, Coach of the Year or someone else? Oh, yeah, it's, it's go ahead, dead heat. I'm good with either guy. Monty's been unbelievable with what that team has done. Chris Paul's obviously had a big impact. And then Tibbs, I mean, the bottom line is he's, he's got a team now that you want to watch because they care. There's a lot of care on that team. Mm. That's what they have lacked more than anything, want to. There's a whole lot of want to with that team, and there's a lot of people now getting behind them. So go ahead, flip a coin. I am good with either guy winning that. Awesome stuff, Legs. Thanks for the time. Appreciate you, Thanks brother. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yep. Tim Leger with us here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, some sad news today in the Chicago world. A Chicago star who really went national. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Timeline for the last week plus has been full of NFL coach lookalikes as we continue to spin off of the Adam Sandler movie that got promoted as being uh, in, in production or at least you know coming soon with Kevin James as a loose Sean Payton based loosely on Sean Payton going back and coaching his son's team when he was suspended for Bounty Gate. And we weren't sure about Kevin James playing Sean Payton, so we decided to cast the whole darn NFL. And we, we are on to a new division. We're doing the AFC East today. So at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, in a second you can go on and suggest some folks. I'm already seeing all the Bill Burrs coming my way for Sean McDermott. Uh, but those are always fun. We'll pay off your uh, casting selections a little bit later. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to tune into an NL East battle tomorrow as the Mets host the Nationals. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN App. Fitz, there isn't a single person in my mind for Bill Belichick. Do you have one? No. Th- th- this one's tough. Like you got to find somebody that looks... You know, disinterested at everything, <laughs> um, a little angry about no matter what it is, everything has a really particular like as somebody myself that wears, you know, mesh shorts and a hoodie basically 300 days a year. Like he has a different way he rocks the hoodie and yeah. it has this like I'm not sure if it's been washed or not, but it mm-hmm. still feels like it's distressed. Right. Like, I think yeah, is what you call like, it when you charge a lot of money for it. Uh, well, and, and he can afford it for sure. Like, uh, there's a there, there's a level of that, and then just a, a level of just different disinterest in everything yeah. that needs to really come across. I'm not sure yeah. who can do that. DGAF uh, as an actor in the face, yeah, resting yeah. DGAF face. Uh, yeah. So we've got you know Belichick, McDermott, Flores, and then Robert Sala is going to give us a bunch of meaty dudes in this selection. So oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, get on Twitter and uh, and give us your best on those. Uh, don't forget also to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get all the show stuff that you might miss. And sometimes we do some uh, pre-show and after-show digital-only stuff. Not lately. We've been pretty busy, but we'll get back to it soon. Um, Fitz, I won around the horn today, uh, so all is right with did. the world. Back-to-back, back, on my way to a three-peat, no doubt. Um, and I spent my FaceTime on a sad story that just came up this morning and is making the rounds, started trending on Twitter, and had me really realizing that Steve McMichael, the former Chicago Bear, is a nationally known guy, someone that's really beloved beyond just the role that he plays here in Chicago. He was a college football Hall of Famer, was an all-pro, a pro bowler, part of the 85 Bears Super Bowl team, went on to become a professional wrestler, a commentator, a coach in semi-pro football. He has a band with Dan Hampton and Otis Wilson. Some of the lyrics are, you know, funny Mike Ditka skewed, a, a, a fixture at everything here in Chicago. And a larger-than-life personality goes by Mongo McMichael. And he's been diagnosed with ALS. The diagnosis officially came three months ago, but it feels fairly um, 
well into it and, and likely that he probably had other symptoms without having the diagnosis before he's already in a specialized wheelchair, unable to use his arms. His legs are significantly weakened and will eventually be unable to walk. Um, and if you don't know much about ALS, it's a it's about as cruel a way to go as you can get. It has a 100 percent fatality rate. There are very few ways to counteract it in any meaningful way. It's it's something you could try to fight, but unfortunately, Fitz, the results are, are the same for everyone, and it's progressively degenerative to the point that you can't use your body and eventually you can't speak. You're, you're all together upstairs, though. And so I think especially when we see this happen to athletes, it's particularly heartbreaking uh, to see these people who have always used their bodies and, in his case, been the strongest, the biggest, the loudest, the funniest uh, to slowly have that taken away. That's such a key part of why I think this is just heartbreaking to see, Sarah, is that you're talking about somebody that personified toughness to anybody that grew up in that era. Like, you know, for me as a kid watching, even from as a Raiders fan growing up, I still watched that rock star era of the the Bears and and just thought, man, those guys were cooler than everybody. They seemed Mm -hmm. like they just had more fun than everybody. It resonated different. And when Steve McMichael you know, transferred into the wrestling world, you saw a lot of that too. Like he's somebody that was known for his toughness and his personality. And uh, the, the, the brutal part is that all of that is taken away from him through this process. And, and there's just nothing anybody can do. Uh, it's, it's a sad, sad moment, I think, for sports fans everywhere. And it's a reminder of how temporary the joy is that we get. You know, the, the thing for us as fans that so many uh, fans forget is that we may root for the same team for years and years and years. And players come and go. For the players, it is a just a chapter in their life, and later on they have to figure out how to move on to different chapters mm-hmm. and how to succeed in society in different ways. And when you're trying to make those those jumps and leaps and trying to just live a normal life when the game has moved on from you, when fans have moved on from you, it's a very isolating feeling for a lot of athletes. Now you add this on top of it. I mean, it's just absolute tragedy for Steve McMichael, and I think this is the time for anybody that uh, was ever a fan or ever watched or ever supported. You know, this is the time that... You find ways to just, you know, send good vibes and, and make sure that people know that their work was appreciated because that's all we can do. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, you're absolutely right. They've started a, a GoFundMe for McMichael and his family. If people want to contribute, I retweeted it earlier. I know Jeff Dickerson of ESPN posted it as well. It was going around. Um, you know, Steve Gleason, former Saints player, is one of the faces of the uh, the NFL and the NALS, which um, unfortunately there's a list of, of players and I don't know how much research has has been done into the connection between um, violent sports like football and and wrestling and this particular disease. It can be, I think, genetic as well. Um, But uh, he's someone that people can put a face to and who has lived a long time with ALS. Um, Kate Fagan, former ESPNer, you saw her on Around the Horn and Outside the Lines, hosted radio with me. Her dad had ALS, and she has a book coming out next month called All the Colors Came Out, and it's about her family being struck with this diagnosis, the last years of his life, the decisions that have to be made as a family and as loved ones when someone degenerates in front of you and the decisions they have to make about the quality of life they want to live if they are no longer able to speak and communicate. And and her father was a professional basketball player, and their relationship was so deeply rooted in sharing that together, that as he was not able to play anymore and and to use his body, it was a particular kind of cruelty. And um, the book is beautiful. It's heartbreaking, but really honest. And of course, dives into much more than just um, the grief of, of 
you know, watching a, a loved one suffer a serious illness and pass away. But, you know, all the big conversations about what our relationships are with our parents and do you and when do you address some of the issues that you've had your whole life and what needs to happen in either of your lives for those things to come to the fore and for you to really face them. Um, but I'd recommend it for anybody who knows someone going through this because it does very starkly introduce and 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 talk about what happens when someone that you know and love has to face ALS. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and, you know, Sarah, I, I will never forget uh, when I was on the morning show a while back, Damian Woody was on with us one day, and he was sitting in the studio, and we were talking about the CBA negotiations. And I said on air with him in the moment, I said, if there's any one thing players should fight for, if you could talk to players today, what would it be? And he said, without hesitation, uh, lifetime healthcare, lifelong healthcare. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, it, it turned into a long conversation that I'll never forget. Uh, after the show, uh, that we were just talking about sort of the struggles a lot of people don't exist, realize exist. I mean, I came from a music background where, uh, frankly, for anyone that doesn't know, most touring musicians don't aren't, aren't offered healthcare. So when I started at ESPN, I had to watch a tutorial. I'm like, how does this stuff even work? Like, I've never had mm. normal insurance. And and you think about the GoFundMe element that you mentioned there, and it's a reminder that you know if you look back last time when they went into the CBA agreement, the players talked about trying to find some number around lifetime healthcare. What would it cost to do? And they couldn't even get numbers that anybody felt were reliable. So it was just taken away mm-hmm. from the negotiations. And you see that. And then you th- see things that are happening to athletes later in their lives. It's a reminder that uh, it, in the moment, they got to get every dime they can because nobody's going to be looking out for them much later in life. Yeah, it's so well said. And we talk a lot about CTE and other lifelong effects of violent collision sports. We don't talk as much about ALS and so much more money is needed for research because of that 100% fatality rate um, and how cruel it is and, and nothing nothing can be done to stop it. But um, all of our love going to McMichael and his family and to those who will support him through this and to your point, anybody who can help because um, costly decisions have to be made um, over the next stretch of time for him and his family. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Coming up, a big trade in the NFL and it involved very interesting trade partners. We'll try to get to the bottom of this with an expert who will also talk all things as we lead into the NFL draft. Coming up next on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Remember the Super Bowl when we Which watched one? the Chiefs? The last one, <laughs> the most recent one. <laughs> not, not for my favorite team. Never for my favorite team, it feels like. I, I shouldn't say never. I've got one memory in my lifetime that... Uh, I don't like to talk about. Uh, all right. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel. Lady Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, were presented by Progressive Insurance. And it wasn't that long ago. I was sitting there waiting to do a post-Super Bowl radio show with Mike Golick Jr. and Kirk Morrison. We're sitting there watching the game, and I'm just watching Kansas City's offensive line get beat down. I'm just watching it happen, and I'm thinking, wow. Wow, I didn't know we were finally going to see this kind of weakness. Finally, looks like there is some sort of a crack in the armor that got addressed today uh, as the Chiefs pull off a huge trade to pick up Orlando Brown Jr., the uh, Pro Bowl amazing left tackle from the Ravens. He to will the now Chiefs. Join the Chiefs. <laughs> oh, I think. Thank, thank you, Max Kellerman. I'm as dumbfounded as anybody. We both are. Let's head over to the Goodyear hotline. Let's get some thoughts on this from ESPN senior writer and host of the Bill Barnwell podcast. That's right, Bill Barnwell. Bill, thanks for the time. First and foremost, I mean, let's have Max can say it again to the Chiefs. To the Chiefs. Down the road. I mean, are you surprised by this? Not really. Because I kind of feel like that's the kind of thing where it's a tiebreaker. You know, like if you're going to make a trade, if you're getting rid of a guy, 
and it looked like the Ravens were ready to move on from Orlando Brown here. It kind of felt like, you know, you're going to take the best offer available. Now, you prefer an NFC team. You prefer to not see him at all, but it's not like this is a starting quarterback. You know, this is a guy who's tackle. He's a good tackle, for sure. But I think the Chiefs needed a tackle more than anybody else in the league right now, and they weren't in a position to draft one, given how deep they were in this year's class. So I think probably if the Ravens had a similar offer from the NFC team, they would have chosen that one. But I think this tells us the Chiefs have the best offer by a comfortable margin on the table for this player. So, Bill, what are the what are the Ravens going to do with the pieces? Uh, it, it's interesting. You know, I feel like they are in a position where they can maybe get a little juicy, a little spicy. They can maybe move up a little bit now. They have, I mean, they have 31 now from the Chiefs. They have 27. Then they could stay put. This is a deep draft for wide receivers. We all know that. But they could also maybe package those picks and move up into the team. So now maybe look at that Eagles pick. For example, at 12, we know the Eagles are open for business. At 12, now maybe if someone like a Jalen Waddle drops, maybe the Ravens go out and get that star receiver we've all been clamoring for, for Lamar Jackson. We're talking to Bill Barnwell, host of the Bill Barnwell podcast. So, Bill, uh, a lot of conversation about the offensive linemen this year in the draft, particularly. So if you're the Chiefs and you had the choice of using all of this equity to move up in the draft and take one of these offensive linemen that may be available to you in the mid-teens, or trade for Orlando, Orlando Brown, which would you have done? I would defer to the big guy in Kansas City because he's pretty smart about this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, I have my own opinions. I have my own feelings. I get stuff wrong all the time. Andy Reid gets stuff wrong once in a while, not all that often. And Andy Reid, last time he made this kind of trade, with this sort of draft capital for a left tackle, it was Jason Peters from the Bills. Jason Peters is going to the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, he's had pretty good instincts in the past when it has come to going after left tackles. And now, um, you know, there's plenty of guys out there. They could move up probably into uh, the top half of the first round, but the Chargers, for example, the Vikings, uh, those are going to be teams who are going to be higher than what the Chiefs probably would have had access to moving up in the first round who are going to draft left tackles. So I think for them, it was, hey, let's get a guy who we think is a, a plug-and-play guy, a veteran who we saw at left tackle a little bit last year, um, and a guy who has some upside. I, I think they see him as a really physical player, really physical run blocker, and I think that's going to be a situation where they're going to sign him now to be part of the core of that team for years to come. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Bill Barnwell, uh, the Goodyear hotline. You know, Bill, we're going to get into some conversation about sitting versus starting young quarterbacks. And I think I remember you doing a column about this a couple years ago, or maybe the focus was more just how hard it is to hit on quarterbacks in the draft. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of talk this year about how it looks like the guys who are going to go first four or five are not likely to get much of a chance to sit back and learn. They will be thrust into action immediately. Have you made up your mind on the age-old question of whether it's better to let a guy sit and learn or start him right away? I, I always think play the guy. And, and I'll tell you what, like every organization of football, I've seen so many guys from Blake Bortles. Uh, he was the most obvious one, but even Josh Allen, you know, I've heard teams say, okay, listen, this guy's not ready. We're going to sit this guy. He's going to hang out for most of the year. Eagles with Carson Wentz being another example. Those guys come in week two or week three. The first chance a team gets to bring in one of those guys, they're coming in. So to me, I think it's not even a choice just because teams are just so aggressive with bringing these guys. And now really, look at the quarterback market. You're sort of always talking about how you're getting value for these guys while they're on these cheap rookie contracts. Well, that's true, but realistically, you're looking at three years for most of these guys before they're looking at a contract extension, before you know Deshaun Watson's getting an extension. Or this year, it's going to be Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson getting extensions. So really, the clock is 
in from the first time you really get those guys on the field. So to me, I think it's that rookie year. You're not expecting maybe all that much, but get him on the field, get those reps, get him comfortable with pressure. And then year two, you're hoping for kind of a breakout season or maybe in Josh Allen's case, year three. And Bill, the thing that matters about that real quick is just also the makeup of the team they're joining, right? Because if you have a disaster line or something else, like you might be doing a ton of damage to someone who's not ready. Yes. I mean, we can't think of any, any quarterbacks who have been seriously damaged over the course of right. their three- or four-year runs, right. and their confidence or, or dramatically teams. erode from year to year. Or, or any teams drafting high that would maybe take a quarterback right now Jets, and not have an <laughs> offensive line to protect him. I mean, but yes, Bill, absolutely. you mentioned the timeline, right? Like, the, the clock's ticking on all these guys. Has the timeline changed now on how long quarterbacks have to actually prove themselves that are top five picks? Absolutely. I mean, I think like Trent Dilfer, for example, I think he was six. So he's kind of cheating a tiny bit, but he was a guy who had three or four years where he had interceptions that were twice as much maybe as his touchdown total. I mean, a guy who just was part of a competitive team too. the Bucks were a good team early on in Trent Dilfer's career, but he had chance after chance and after chance eventually developed to a pretty useful pro quarterback, won a Super Bowl, of course, with the Baltimore Ravens. But now, I mean, you know, I, I remember talking about Sam Darnold before this past season, and I was talking at New York Radio, and they were almost like, how, how could you say that he's going to be done after this year with the Jets if things go wrong? And it's just teams are going to make these kind of moves after two or three years. If you don't have a guy who works out, number one, the coach and the GM are probably getting fired. And number two, you're not going to want to sign that guy to an extension or pick up that guaranteed option. So really, that third year, if you've proven what you can do after three years now, that's pretty much going to be it for you. And, and I do think that, in the case of someone like a Josh Rosen or a Dwayne Haskins, it's even quicker. Bill Barnwell with us here on Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're getting so deep into all the draft conversation and you're listening to everybody during lying season, trying to figure out whether they're telling you something <laughs> important or not. Why would Jerry Jones and the Cowboys choose to post a video of his chat with Pitts talking about sugar plums? <laughs> I feel like they're trading down. And I kind of feel like they're hoping that someone's going to get real excited and try and trade up ahead of them maybe for, for pits or someone else like that. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to do too much that's exciting. I think they're going to kind of stick with what they're planning. They don't, certainly don't need another receiver given how much they have on offense. But I kind of think they're hoping one of the cornerbacks falls to them maybe at, uh, at 10 or maybe a little bit lower. And so I think they're hoping teams are going to try and trade up ahead of them. Bill, real quick before we let you go, I got to ask you a selfish question here since you're knee deep in this draft stuff. <laughs> I'm doing a couple of mock draft things where I got to make the Raiders pick, right? And the board, I'm, I'm, I have no control over the board. I can't trade. I got to make a decision between taking the best safety on the board or the third or fourth best offensive lineman, third or fourth best, you know, uh, corner, third or fourth best defensive player. Like, do you take the best player to position a need when the rest of the board's just been picked over? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what your roster is, right? You know, I think if you feel pretty confident without those well, other positions, I think you kind of go for it. And I think for the Raiders, I mean, they've already invested so much in that secondary, both in free agency and sort of more so recently in the draft. But it's not like that secondary is fixed. Not like they have solutions there that we feel good about if you're the Raiders in the secondary. So I think for them, I lean corner. I lean towards maybe if you have a guy you like at corner, maybe move up a pick or two if you could. But without having the trade, I think you're probably going for the best corner there, even if it means giving up a better player at a different position, just because that problem just hasn't been solved for years now. Oh, feels I'm going to get murdered when I make these picks. <laughs> All right, Bill, we appreciate your work as always, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Bill Barnwell. Thanks, guys.
Bill Barn Roll on Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. All right, the long unanswered question, sit or start, we'll answer it. And I'm going to use one quarterback that's a good example on patience and all of it. We'll do that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz. Blown under the radar, and it's going to be shocking. The radar? And it, the radar. It's a new word. Rain-dar, is that like, where we see if there's going to be rain? It, no, it's a reindeer radar. Like specifically, Whoa. really only works at Christmas time. Doesn't get a lot Do of signals. Do they get signals July, via but, their antlers? I mean, it's had to be all secrets. I understand. Shark type. I mean, yeah, it's, it's appreciate that. <laughs> Taking the idea of a Shark Tank, I tell you. Spain and Fitz uh, on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series. Sugar Plums and Reindeer. I'll check it oh, out today. God. Oh, God. We have had a show. Check out the Spain and Fitz podcast uh, just to hear me uh, wax philosophically about Will Ferrell's plums and also to talk about the reindeer. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. It's a Friday. That's all I can say. Uh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Tune into an NL battle Sunday. Dodgers host the Padres. We've been talking about it all week. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, and at 7 p.m. on ESPN. We'll get more into that series and all things baseball. Coming up in about 15 minutes, you don't want to miss that. But, Sarah, I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the like the buzzwords that we hear around the draft all the time about floor and ceiling, particularly when it comes to quarterbacks, because realistically, that's a big part of what we have to look at when we look at this year's draft class at quarterbacks specifically. There is a huge ceiling to some of these players, we think, and the, and some players have a floor that's more, you know, may not be as bad as others. So when you're a team trying to figure out who you are, you really have to make that quarterback decision knowing that what are you shooting for? Is the goal really to be 13-3 and three and compete with the Chiefs? Or is the goal right now for your team just to make sure that you don't stink and somehow you at least put yourself in the 8-8 uh, eight and eight sort of range? Well, to Bill Barnwell's point, who we just spoke to, there's obviously an emphasis on wanting to make good on young quarterbacks before they get that big deal. But that can't be prioritized over whether you've got the right guy. And we had Bruce Feldman on the show yesterday. He wrote a great story for The Athletic, picking the brains of a couple dozen coaches and scouts. And he talked about Mac Jones, for instance, as being a really smart guy who's really solid and can go into the NFL right now and get it done for you. But I don't think the ceiling for Mac Jones is that of Justin Fields or Trey Lance. That's me. Now, listen, I think Trevor Lawrence is a sure thing. We know where Zach Wilson is going, so we haven't dived as deeply into his ceiling and floor. But when it comes to making decisions about that next quarterback that goes, my gut just tells me at their best, Fields and Lance will be better than Jones. But they need development. And Lance especially is such a hit or miss risk because we've seen so little of him. Fields, I think it's interesting how we've backed off of him because of his decision to play in a pandemic-affected season that wasn't normal, and we moved away from prioritizing him as right up there with Trevor Lawrence as we did two years ago because of what we saw last season. I don't know if that's really fair, and some of the questions around him are a little confusing, but I do think they have a higher ceiling. So do you go for those guys and say, this could be the franchise changer, or do you go for Mac Jones and say, especially if you're like the 49ers, we're built to win now, and I want someone that can come in ready? It's such a a hard question to answer, and I'm realizing, you know, I always say I'm risk-averse at quarterback. Well, I think it's not that. I'm afraid of failure from the quarterback position. Is is what you say right there. If you give me the choice between a quarterback that's only going to be 
he's okay. He's pretty good. I'll take that all day because I've seen what it's like to have trash quarterback after trash quarterback, and I just can't handle it anymore. So, you know, even even as a Raiders fan constantly being asked to analyze Derek Carr, I'm like, you know what? He's pretty good, and pretty yeah. good's good enough for me. But when you're looking at this draft, you got to understand what level of risk you're willing to take. You know, are you willing to put all the cards in on a Trey Lance, taking the possibility that it's going to work out, knowing that if it does, maybe you're a Super Bowl contender. But if it doesn't, maybe you're unemployed. Or do you take the risk on somebody that is much more in the middle on all of it and may not be as great, but won't be as bad? That's where I would go. Is I'm learning that about myself, and I'm not sure I love it, but it's just part of how I'm wired at that position specifically. Well, and Fitz, you know, one of the things we also talked about was, you know, how long the leash is. And, and it's not as long as it used to be for anyone, coaches, GMs, quarterbacks, et cetera. We saw the trend recently is to get them out there, see what you got, and feel free to move on even if it's a year later, right? So four of the five QBs picked in the top two rounds last year started at least four games as rookies. Jordan Love, the only guy who didn't see the field. This was the same two years ago. Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke all started at least five games. A year before that, it was Mayfield, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Jackson starting at least seven. You have to go back to 2017 when Mahomes was the 10th overall pick to find a team that went with the sit-behind-someone-and-learn approach. There are any number of examples on both sides of guys who got thrust into action and immediately had some success and then worked their way into greatness. And then you've got the Rodgers and the Mahomes and and the Tom Brady's who sat for a little while before they got in. Um, So much of that success is going to be dependent on the system they enter and the support they get. Mina Kimes today, I think very wisely was talking about Zach Wilson. This is exciting. He knows where he's going to go. Everybody's hot on him, but there's going to be a rude wake up when he gets to the Jits. When you watch uh, his BYU tape, he is very exciting. The offensive line might be just as impressive at BYU, granted against, you know, some small school competition. But Wilson, man, I mean, he's got enough time back there to make breakfast. And not like cereal, like an omelet. He was so (laughs) unpressured in college. That's going to be a big adjustment when he comes to the NFL. So as we look ahead to the Jets draft, how they're going to spend all of these picks, we need to start eyeing some offensive linemen uh, after that number two pick because they need a lot of help. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and to that end, that's part of why I've said, Sarah, repeatedly, I don't care if Patrick Mahomes was the quarterback of the Jets last year. They were a six-win team. They just don't have a lot of talent. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, I think really smartly, that it's, a, you know, the system matters and, you know, whether or not you play somebody or don't play somebody, uh, the coaching matters. But I also would argue that the person they're sitting behind matters. Like, part of the reason Patrick Mahomes worked, he said it, everybody said it, is Alex Smith was great in that role. Not every quarterback, as we talk about a lot, is the same in that role. So even sitting isn't the same in every situation, depending on who you're sitting behind and what sort of uh, investment they're taking in sitting, uh, in having you behind them. I mean, these are all the variables that matter. And it's part of why you have to have patience. And I'll use Baker as an example. Today, the the Browns announced that they're going to pick up the fifth-year option on Baker's contract. That's not a big surprise to most of us. I don't think there's any big shock that he's coming in for a fifth year. But remember, after one year, we were convinced Baker was like the second coming. And then after two years, he stunk, right? But now after three years, it's somewhere in the middle. And to me, I look at that and say, man, part of this whole process for a quarterback is like, it's coaching, 
It's the system. It's who they sit mm-hmm. behind. And it's how patient we're willing to be to let them actually have a chance to develop into being an NFL quarterback. Oh, it's huge. I mean, we look, we had some great examples of that. Remember, with both Goff and Wentz, it was like alternating times. Of, and, and, then it's, and then it's development and continued development because sometimes you can have that hit and so much of that. I mean, with Goff, for instance, we, don't, we talk so little about how a super healthy offensive line is what helped that team in their great successful year, the very next year, not that much has changed, but there are injuries across the O line that completely change the way that offense can run and keep him out of the best situation games for his style of play. Um, so there's, it's very hard to to look from too deep of a, or I guess too high of a distance at these. You really need to dive into the context for why guys have success right away or need to develop longer. But I think you're right. I mean, in the course of last season, we went from Baker's the guy to Baker's trash, back to Baker's the guy, right? And that was within one season. So some of these teams, I think, just make really snap decisions and probably regret it later. Yeah, and I think a lot of the analysts that are doing that, that did that to Baker, are also doing that to Justin Fields now. I still think that he's being undersold in all of this. Don't forget, round one of the NFL Draft, Thursday night, April 29th, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Going to be absolutely spectacular. ESPN Radio will have you covered for all three days of the draft with some great expertise, uh, some really energetic hosts, especially on day three. I'm just saying, day three, going to have some pop to it. That's all I'm saying. All right, coming up, round two of a hot rivalry this weekend. We'll get into that and other baseball nuggets next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. What to watch for in Major League Baseball is brought to you by Sam Adams. Everyone's got a cousin from Boston who forgets their wallet at dinner, but never forgets a sixer of refreshing Sam Adams. Cheers to that. The Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass, savor the flavor responsibly. Let's head over to the Goodyear Hotline where MLB Network radio analyst Ryan Spielberg joins us. You can hear him weekdays 2 to 5 Eastern on MLB Network radio on Sirius XM channel 80. Ryan, thanks for the time. I'm just blowing off our planned questions to start with something that's most important, which is the Cubs. Just absolutely putting a beating (laughs) on the Brewers today, coming off a sweep of the Mets. Based on what you're seeing, is this a potential sign that those sad and sleepy bats are gone and that the Cubs could be rounding back into form and looking like the talented bunch that they are? Uh, good to talk to you guys. Um, Sarah, <laughs> I will say there are some things that look really good for Cubs fans, but I will point out some negative. I'll give you a little poop burger like uh, Pete Alonzo said he ate <laughs> after getting swept by the Cubs, which was probably my favorite quote of all time. Um, Javi Baez has a problem. Um, mm-hmm. He's swinging and misses on fastballs is like – at a really crazy high clip. Um, so I'll give you an example. Like a whiff percentage, it's a baseball stat. Uh, it's kind of come into context more the last couple of years. 26% is about league average. So that's, you know, you swing and miss a quarter of the time. That's, that's about average. Um, when Javi was at his best, he was swinging and missing on a fastball about 27%. So slightly above league average. This year, you want to make a guess where he's at? 64. Oh, that's a, that's a good guess. You're actually pretty close. He's at 55%. Oof, oof. So 55%, nearly a 60% rate, is double league average. It's also crazy, crazy, crazy to think that a hitter that good is swinging and missing on fastball, which is like in our baseball terms and lexicon, you don't miss the fastball. 
Right. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a scary kind of place to be at your hobby. Um, but the rest of the lineup is picking them up. Um, I'm not a big fan, to be honest, Sarah, of the starting rotation um, for a couple reasons. Mm-hmm. It's one of the lowest, you know, pitching velocity-wise, it's basically a bunch of sinker slider guys. Uh, and if you pay attention to, you know, the numbers that correlate with sinker slider pitchers, it's usually low strikeout rate, high walk rate, and anything hit in the air is a homer. So you better play really good defense, which at times the Cubs have. Um, but I'm I'm kind of cautious with this group. I think it's toward, I think it's the end of this group's run, um, and I hope they have a good run to finish it because of the sentiment for the for the city of Chicago. Um, but to me, this this probably is a swan song for for this group. All right, Ryan, while you're talking about struggles, that leads perfectly to the Yankees. Yankees fans pulling their hair out. How legit do you think it is at this point, their struggles? Will they get through this at some point this season, or should we just change our expectations? (laughs) Another good one. Um, You know, I think it's okay to push the panic button if you're a Yankees fan. Um, Normally I would say, hey, you know, relax. The the season's kind of messed up. You got COVID. You have – scheduling day offs early in the year there's weather that's that's you know that basically ruins the routine of these hitters but i also recognize you know there's a lot of players on that team that father time isn't being kind with you know aaron judge is is looking like he's off to a good start um but we haven't seen him like healthy for a full season and with john carlos stanton i don't even know where you put him in the lineup right now to be honest like do you bat him seventh do you bat him eighth uh, Aaron Hicks is like he's he's in the Javi Baez category. So there's too many guys in there that I want to say back to the baseball card they're going to be fine. But I also recognize injury history and where they are at an age, and I have some legitimate concerns. And the bigger concern I have is the starting rotation because you do have guys like Kluber and Tyone that have been hurt, and it's going to put a lot more pressure on the bullpen, which has been really good. The bullpen has been really really good. Uh, but when you couple bad hitting with bad defense and kind of shoddy starting pitching, I would be kind of worried if I'm a Yankee fan. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Ryan Spielborgs of MLB Network Radio. You can hear him 2 to 5 Eastern on Sirius XM Channel 89. The A's 11-game win streak. They're, they're going in and, and facing the Orioles tonight. This is the team that started the season 0-6. Is this a good team or just a good streak? Uh, it's a good team. They, they are good. I mean, they, they find a way to win. They're, I, I can't explain them. I, I've used the analogy of a, of a college program, you know, almost like Alabama. When it comes to football, it's like every single year, they just it, it's plug and play. So, like, they, like they get guys that I, I don't want to call them a scrap heap because that's not fair. They're good players, but they come out of nowhere and they do A's things. Like, Jed Lowry didn't literally play, like, 15 games for the Mets. And this year he's 37 years old. You figure he's just going to be like fade off into the day. And he's one of the league's best hitters right now. Like I don't, I don't get it. Um, they play really good defense. I was upset with them because they allowed Marcus Simeon to walk to Toronto. Here's a kid that was from that area, went to school at Cal Berkeley. You hear everything about, hey, this guy is like the heart and soul of our team. It's basically like taking Justin Turner off the Dodgers. And Oakland walked away from him for like eighteen million bucks, which in the grand scheme of things, it's not my money. But I was like, that's that's like crazy money to let walk away if he means that much to your team. 
and they bounce back. So, you know, I look at the start of the season for the A's. They played the Dodgers. They played the Astros. The Astros were hot. This was before COVID hit them. Um, so they played two hot teams to start. They're not going to win 11 all the time. Um, they're probably not going to win a three-game series. You know, they're not going to sweep Baltimore, but they're a good team. They're a good team. They find a way to, to win all the time. So I, I don't know what's in the water or the sewage at the Coliseum, but Bob <laughs> Melvin does a really good job. <laughs> Really good job of keeping these guys going forward. You're speaking yeah, Fitz's language, calling uh, calling anything relating to the A's sewage. <laughs> look, Ryan. I, look, I'm a lifelong diehard Raiders fan, and the first time I walked into that Coliseum, I was like, "Really? They play pro sports here? Like that doesn't seem like it makes any sense." So, I get it. Uh, I get it. It's not exactly the nicest. Uh, Ryan Spielberg joining us. Uh, so, Ryan, the the matchup of the weekend for everybody's Padres Dodgers. We've been talking about it over the course of the season so far. This seems like these two teams just uh, it's a fun watch. They've been close games. What are you looking for this weekend in that matchup? Yeah, this one's great. Uh, so at the start of the series, uh, it's a four game series, which we don't get those too often, and it is fun that they've matched up twice in the month of April. Um, before the series started. Uh, the Dodgers had a five-game lead on the Padres, which, you know, it's April. We don't really look at the, the standings yet. But with this series specifically, you know, we were, we were saying, like, if you're the Padres and if you can take this series, you, you narrowed it down um, from five games down to essentially two. Um, if you go and you lose a series, a four-game series, so that means you, you go three and one or you go one and three. Um, Dodgers extend out on you potentially to six to seven games, right? And seven games over the course of the season, games back, those, those start to mount. That becomes a pretty big hole to dig yourself out of. So um, I love the matchup. They're both really evenly matched. Uh, if you, last night's game came down to defense. So uh, when you're talking about two really high-level teams roster-wise and construction-wise, now you start getting into like the margins of the game, which is really fun. Uh, if you're a fan of sports, because, you know, there, there's a bunch of teams right now in Major League Baseball. It's it's very top-heavy. Uh, the bottom-level teams are basically, <laughs> they're, they're not going to do very well on a day-in, day-out basis against the Dodgers. But when you have evenly matched rosters, you can start breaking down, like, how important was that leadoff walk? How important was turning a double play? How important was the sixth-inning reliever? Um, and that's, that's where the excitement of baseball comes in, because you're getting playoff baseball in April. And if the Padres want to win a division, which remember we're back to no expanded playoffs and a single game wild card. So depending on who comes out of the wild card from either the National League East, which could be the Mets or the Nationals or the Phillies or whatever, that'd be a one game matchup against the Padres. Like, no, thank mm. you. I don't want a one game <laughs> yeah. matchup if I spend all this money this off season. So they really, really, really need to win a series, even though it's crazy to say it's, it's only April, um, yeah. but it is It's really important to win it. Ryan, it's been great, though, that the series has been living up to expectations. Every game yeah. in the first four against each other has been within a run heading into the eighth. So people are getting their money's worth in a rivalry that a lot of people scoffed at because of the Dodgers' dominance of late, but the Padres uh, holding up their own. Sunday Night Baseball, 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio, 8 Eastern on ESPN, will be Padres-Dodgers round two. Ryan, before we let you go, our buddy here, Fitz. I'm a diehard Cubs fan. Everybody knows that Fitz does not have a baseball allegiance. Now, we're running out of time here. So, very quickly, if he is Major League Bachelor and he is offering up his love and commitment to any team, do you have a suggestion of a team that he should join the ranks of? 
Well, it depends on how long do you want this relationship. Do you want it quick? Do you want it hot and heavy? Or are you into long term? In theory, no, no, it should right. be his team for I'm, life. In theory, I'm a Raiders fan. Like I want, I've had them my whole life. Like so, I'm no, in. I'm dug in, even though my team stinks. <laughs> so, like, uh, let's go. I'm looking for lifetime commitment here. Okay, you want lifetime commitment? Then you need somebody that's going to be there for a lifetime. I, I think the 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 shiny toy and the one that's fun to follow. You know, you want to go watch games at a really beautiful place where it's nice and warm. Become a Padres fan. Yeah, there's plenty of room. Brown looks good on anyone. And uh, you got Tatis for 14 more years. So you can there grow you older. Go. All right. We're putting it. I'm starting a I'm list of all the recommendations from Diego. folks. And honestly, San Diego is not a bad place to go. I've had like one rain out in like 38 years. I was there. They don't uh, even Ryan... have a rain park. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's insane. They don't need one. Ryan, awesome to have you on. We'll have to have you back. Appreciate the insight. Thanks, Ryan. Bye, you guys. Thanks for having me. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Coming up, it's a Friday, which means we need to do sports dinner and pay off the coaches that we casted. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's right. It's a Friday. And we got a lot to get to before we close out this show and go have some adult beverages, or in your case, some sparkling water. Yes. So you're still being good before the draft, and then you're going to treat yourself to a giant piece of cake and 11 teen beers. But for now, sparkling water it is. We got a lot to get to before we close the show, and we're starting with the coaches that we had you cast. This, of course, again, is in response to the alleged movie coming out where Kevin James will play Sean Payton which had us deciding to cast the entire NFL coaches. And we are on the AFC East today. We got some good ones. Sean McDermott, uh, Ron Howard is a good answer, but Bill Burr is the runaway for the coach of the Bills. It is absolutely a fit. Um, Flores down in Miami, Mahershala Ali, Morris Chestnut, Romani Malco, Terry Crews, all good selections and all very flattering. No, Look, I'd like bad. Terry Crews to play basically anybody, anytime, and anything. So <laughs> Terry Crews can play me. That's all I'm saying. Like, let's just go. I mean, Terry... Not if no, we were I'm... going for realism. Uh, it be yeah, I'm going to uh... start P90 soon. Let's see if I get a little sauce. <laughs> uh, Robert Sal, also some very flattering, very beefy suggestions. Vin Diesel, Jason Statham, The Rock, and Common. I just bald and beefy is is the theme of all of those for the new Jets coach. And then Bill Belichick, a wide range of crunchy old barnacles. Uh, Neil Young, Nick Offerman, Michael Shannon, I had never thought of. And then I looked and I was like, that is spot on. Ed O'Neill, Tommy Lee Jones, Russell Crowe, and Ann Ramsey from the Goonies, which is a dead ringer. That that one is the one that like I was uncomfortable with how much it like I looked at it and I was like, this is it. This is perfect. We found it. There we go. I just don't want to be the one to tell anybody that because like everybody, I'm afraid of him. So, you know, that, that's Listen. all we can do. You put her from Throw Mama from a Train in one of those cutoff sweatshirts. That's it. That's it right there. You've got a seasoned actress ready to go. Uh, on sports, on sports, on Friday, I swear I didn't already break into the alcohol. I just, it's been a long day. On Friday, we also do something we call Sports Tinder. Sports Tinder. That's so sensual. That's what we do when you guys are at home swiping up, making bad decisions, getting ready for some maybe Netflix and chill since that's more pandemic safe. We are here swiping and making decisions ourselves. We ask ourselves questions from the sports world and beyond. If we agree with the question, we swipe right. If we really agree, we swipe up. If we disagree, we swipe left. And if we hate it, we swipe down. Let's start with the story that got most publicity around 
Tom Brady not liking the changes to numbers in the NFL. He wants to be able to decide what position someone is and what personnel they're in, what scheme they're in based on numbers. And he doesn't like that they're going to be allowed to change that for certain positions. So that's the headline. But behind that, Dalvin Cook looked into potentially changing his jersey. There's a whole new universe of numbers he could choose from. So he was like, oh, let me take a look, see if I want something different. Maybe I don't want to be number 33. Maybe I want to be number four. Well, the running back was told that the unsold jerseys bearing his original number would be his responsibility to pay for. And according to a source, the price tag was around $1.5 million of buying all of the remaining supply of jerseys at retail price if they choose to change their number. Now, this is, of course, not the case if you get traded or anything else. I don't think it happens if, say a quarterback comes in and wants their number and you give it up, I think that would be pretty messy, but maybe that's why they have to pay off and they got to pay off whatever you're going to get charged. But is this a fair rule from the NFL, Fitz? So this rule has existed for a while, but I'm torn on it. I've thought a lot about it. I've decided I'm going to... Swipe right. This one's tough. I'm a little little torn on it, but what you don't want is everybody changing numbers all the time, and then you're the NFL and you're stuck with all these jerseys you got printed that you can no longer sell. So, you know, realistically, where do you draw the line? Like if somebody's super popular, part of the reason it'll cost Alvin so much is because there's a lot of jerseys out in production. Like it wouldn't cost you as much if you weren't as big a star. So, you know, unfortunately for him, but if they change the rule there, then at what point does the league just start losing money willy-nilly on these jersey numbers? Like I'm going to the league. swipe left. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. You're worried about the <laughs> league. Now, I understand not making it super easy because I do think for fans, it would kind of suck if you bought a player's jersey and then they just kept changing their number over and over. I don't think that's very likely to happen, though. I think guys pride themselves on their numbers and they wouldn't want it to change every year. So I think this is probably something that a league that makes billions of dollars should handle they can take on the cost. Maybe there's a restriction on the number of times you can change your number or something like that, but this feels very unfair, and I feel bad for Dalvin Cook. Moving on. We talked about rock, paper, scissors, or as Chanae would say, paper, scissors, rock, and uh, Nick Sirianni using that to help decide his, his draft selections and whether guys were competitive enough. Well, now we're hearing that Matt Rule asks people what their desert island artist would be. This is the person where if you get stuck on a desert island, you only get to choose one band to listen to forever. Who would it be? He's been asking the NFL draft prospects this. His answer is Dave Matthews' band. Fitz, I wonder, would you judge a player for a bad choice? Oh, I'm going to... Swipe up. Super like. Yeah, I'm judging all day long. Like, look, uh, it doesn't mean I wouldn't draft them, but I would definitely judge them harshly. For Like, if somebody comes into this particular question and decides as much as I love, you know, Hanson, some of their work, they decide it's going to be like the Mbop record. We got a problem. Like, I, right. we're, we're yeah. never going to have anything in common. So, you know, I think that there's a good line here where you can look at it and say, you know what? No, you and I, we're never going to click as people based on that one, uh, that one answer. I'm going to swipe right. I would absolutely judge them. I would absolutely judge their terrible taste in music. I would absolutely be disappointed. In fact, this is one of the questions on my podcast's uh, Spanish Inquisition at the end, and I, I use it to judge people about whether they know music or not. But it wouldn't change who I drafted, because I know you can get around with people that have terrible taste in music. You just connect on other things, like whether they can you know, crush opposing linemen. So I'm okay with that. Moving on. Hugs are back. Roger Goodell is vaccinated. He will be able to selectively hug some of the participants in person at the NFL draft. Fitz, is the draft better with Goodell hugs? Yeah, I'm going to 
Swipe down. I hate it. What? If I can't hug anybody, neither can Roger. It's simple. Oh, so salty. I'm going to. <laughs> Swipe up. Super like. Yeah, first of all, most things are better with hugs. Uh, I'm going to get given a lot of examples in my mentions of things that aren't involving strangers and weirdos. But most consensual hugging situations are made better by a connection with another human being, especially when we've gone so long. And there are very few things about Roger Goodell's draft performance that elicit any emotion beyond. So I feel like we need to take advantage of the moment that we all like, which is the big hug when these guys are so excited about this moment in their lives. So I poo poo your selfishness. And uh, yay, yay, that the show is over and it's a Friday night. Everybody have a great night. Freddie Fitzsimmons coming up next. See you. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.